understood myself only after I destroyed myself, and only in the process of fixing myself did I know who I really was. Welcome to the Two Roads Travel podcast. Two sisters, two journeys, one purpose. Changing perceptions and judgments around alcohol misuse. The impact on the drinker, family and society as a whole. Too many struggle alone, so please remember us when you chat to someone that may need help. Remember, we also run a closed Facebook group for Daughters of Alcoholics, so for those that want some more individual support, please go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Daughters of Alcoholics. Episode 23 is on a topic that's quite delicate, but it is a reality and very prominent in homes of addiction. Jenny joins us to talk about her experience of domestic abuse as the daughter of a drinker. Be sure to put it in your calendar for when it goes live on the 5th of July. Hello and welcome to episode 22 of the Two Roads Travelled podcast. Today, Joe and Paula are looking at how apparently strong women can also be very vulnerable and at times feel powerless. Women who appear strong in adversity can still find certain situations difficult. For some, the answer is to suppress or lose their real identities, leading to a real struggle to find their true voice. If a person becomes unable to speak up, it can have dire consequences, and this can go on for many years. Today, Paula and Joe are joined by Dillis, a successful businesswoman. She's held senior positions in Barclays and has run her own business as a sales and marketing leader, coach and public speaker for the past 20 years. Dillis achieved her success despite her difficult childhood. Having grown up far too quickly with a father who drank too much, she then found herself in a very abusive first marriage. She's managed to use her work, her experience as a mother and a very positive frame of mind to cope and to become the woman she is today. Here's Joe and Paula. Hiya! Hi, it's Joe here. Um, So today we are going to be chatting, um, as you know, about vulnerability and strong women and also kind of mixing in that whole um, sometimes overly responsible characteristics that we might develop when we uh, when we live in a home of somebody's drinking and and how that kind of manifests um, and obviously that's not necessarily going to be everyone's experience um, but obviously on the podcast we're trying to cover lots of different topics and areas and we thought that this was kind of an interesting one and certainly one that I've you know experienced myself in terms of the overly responsible stuff but how we can sometimes appear to be a strong woman yet under Underneath it we are actually quite vulnerable um, and I really relate to that and, and hopefully some of you will too so um, yeah so I, I'm just really looking forward to yet another discussion with somebody new and getting somebody else's perspective because obviously we know our own experiences but it's not until we hear somebody else's story that we think oh god yeah I really relate to that so yeah so I'm, I'm excited hi yeah it's Paula um yeah I equal uh, Joe's thoughts there. This is going to be interesting. Um, As I am the older sister, (laughs) I've had to take a lot of responsibility. Oh, the violin. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there's been a lot of responsibility on these shoulders of mine. Um, But, but, you know, I am the protector. And, uh, well, I like to think so. 
Um, but no, I love strong women. I adore them. I love a bit of empowerment. I, I use that in my groups and workshops that I do. Um, I love to bring out that, the tiger in women, you know, I, I often say, find your inner bitch, because, you know, <laughs> bring that out and, you know, and nothing's stopping you. So this is, is right up my street. Um, it really, really uh, rings my bells, this strong women. <laughs> so, um, Dillis, over to you, my love, and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you very much, Paul and Joe, and thank you for inviting me on, which is actually, um, it's a privilege, but I'm also excited to share my story because I hope that it will inspire other people and that they can relate to this. You know, I think people see me as a strong woman um, and I've got all the vulnerabilities of, of a strong woman. Mm. So if I just give you an overview, mm. really, of my background to where I am today, really. Mm. So I um, was brought up, really, in a family with a father who was what we would have called then a boozer mm -hmm. rather than an alcoholic. Um, I didn't know that dads came home from work at tea time. And, and had tea. That was what we called it. We called it dinner at lunchtime and tea at dinner time. <laughs> um, and I didn't know that the dads did that. I, I didn't know that families went on holiday because we never ever had a holiday. And he just, we should have been really well off, but we weren't well off because he just drank all of the money. Um, and it was really, really difficult. And I took on the role really of um, like my mother's confidant mm -hmm. from nine years old. And even now my mother's 96 and she'll say, I should never have burdened you at nine years old with all of that because he was very violent. So there was, a, and I'm really sorry, but and I, when I spoke to Joe first off and I talk about this, it still grabs me in the throat because it's still yeah. uh, it's nearly like it was yesterday. I can mm. feel it like yeah. it was yesterday. Yeah. So um, I grew up with all of that. And I mean, there are so many awful stories I could tell you about that, but then I would be here for like a half a day on your podcast. So I'm just <laughs> going to give you a high level overview. That was really, really traumatic. And um and, and to cut a long story short with my dad, eventually, it, along with his affair, his affairs and drinking, mm. his business went bankrupt and we ended up losing our house and having to go to a council house. Nothing wrong with that, but there is when you don't want to go, you know, mm. and you're forced to go. Mm. And his, his violence was so bad, we had to go without him. And he ended up in my grandfather's garden shed for a week and then um, a caravan. Mm. For, for three years and him and my mother got back together eventually and he died in bed next to a 52 with a massive heart attack and I lived on a knife it was like living on eggshells mm. all of the time covering up never wanting anyone to know that, that this was all going on and then what do I do I get married at 18 to somebody who is not a boozer not even what I would call an alcoholic, but a very angry man, worse in drink. And although I knew it was wrong, because it had been my normal, 
which I also knew wasn't right, but had been so much my normal that I went into this first marriage being, being battered about, mm. basically. Mm. Um, and I, I just could not get out of it. And I, I'm even, I feel ashamed to share this with your listeners. I stayed too long, like 24 years too long. I mean, God, how embarrassing is that to have to share that? But, but it's so common. It's so common. No, yeah. you know, I don't think people should have shame around it because ultimately you don't ever choose to make a bad decision. You, you know, you make the decisions you make because you think it's the right thing to do at the time. You know, yeah. you wouldn't yeah. purposely have said, yeah, this is really bad for me. I'm consciously going to stay here because like, I, I, that's what I want to do. But the, underneath yeah. all of that, there is always something, some reason keeping you there. Yeah. Yeah. And I went on to have two children. Um, we were always short of money because he, he was, it wasn't just the drink he spent on, it was everything else. He had to have the best golf clubs. He had to have like a four wheel drive. He had to have all of the, all of the boys toys and, 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 and the other thing, he was always in and out of work. Like when I say out of work, he actually wasn't out of work very often, but he would, he would fly off the handle with someone that he was working for, tell them to stick it up there, proverbial, and, and then he would look for another job the next week and he would get another job. And, and honestly, he had dozens, and I'm not exaggerating, he had dozens of jobs. And so as I got now, at the age I am now, and I look back, I think there was probably some major insecurities. However, it didn't make it easy for me. And so I was always looking for ways. I was always finding a way. That's like my strap line, finding a way to bring some money in. I sold jewelry, I sold clothes. I, I worked up at the pub and, you know, eight months pregnant with my second child mm -hmm. doing basket um, you know, what do you call them? Pub meals, mm -hmm. uh, meals in a basket, scamping chips mostly. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, I was in the bank to start with and then I left and had the kids and I decided I would learn to type because I thought, ah, this is a brilliant way to bring some money in because I can, I can then um, type thesis for students. So I went to a night class, learned to type got a, a really good mark. I got a distinction actually in my exam. It was a private night class I went to. And a month after the results came through, I got a letter from them saying, would I teach at the night class? And I thought, oh my God, how on earth can I do this? I'm not teacher trained. But I was thinking, this is brilliant because it was then, I mean, this is years ago, 15 pound a session. Mm. I thought, this is brilliant. So <laughs> I thought, I'll go along. And they said, right, here's your leader's guide for your typing and your admin. Here's the guide for that. And here's your leader's guide for the shorthand. I said, I didn't do shorthand. She said, you'd be brilliant. <laughs> so this was going around my head going, oh, my God. If I say no, they might not let me do the short day typing. So I better say yes. So I literally learnt it one week and taught it the next. Wow. And I loved it. I loved it. Absolutely. Anyway, then they asked me to go back into the bank a couple of days a week. He's still drinking. He's, my life at home was murder with him. I was on eggshells again, same as I was as a child. And I was still... Um, covering up, nobody had any idea that all this 
this violence was going on and this mental abuse as well. So I went to the bank two days, then met a customer who um, had a um, wholesale clothes warehouse in Newcastle. I live in Oxford now, but I used to come from, I used to live in Newcastle, as you can probably tell. <laughs> <laughs> Although I've been in Oxford 30 odd years, you'd think you'd be a bit cultivated now, wouldn't you? <laughs> so, so um, this guy said, if any of you girls want any t-shirts, come along. So we all used to go along, get a bag full of clothes for about £10. And I thought, you know, I could do something here. I could, I could do a little, have a little business. So I thought, I borrowed £500, bought some stock and started party plan. You know, Pippa D and Tupperware. Dill's yeah. dogs. <laughs> dogs. So I'm a bit of Tupperware. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Selling these clothes, and, and then I went, I had jewellery and, and uh, some leather goods, bags and purses, I might add, before you jump to any conclusions. He's still living the life of Riley. Spend, spend, spend. I'm doing all of this, and my children, and I was like dobbing. I was like a donkey. I did everything. I cooked, shopped, cleaned, washed, ironed, did the garden. You know, I would ask him, if you would cut the lawn and again and, and you'd go stop telling me what to do and, and then he would be up in arms and it was always walking on eggshells you just never knew in drink or out of drink mm -hmm. how it was going to be um so anyway I'm, I'm doing my two days in the bank i'm selling clothes not doing the typing because as i mentioned they had gone bust um and then I was out socially one night with a, a lady who was our financial advisor in our branch. And she said, Dillis, you know, you should consider doing this. And I said, what? Selling insurance? I'd absolutely hate it. She said, you'd be brilliant. Just come and have an interview. So I went and had the interview and got the job. And believe it or not, they said um, under two conditions. One is that um, you give up all of their forms of selling. I said, are you worried if I don't sell a life insurance or a pension, I get my range of T-shirts and leather goods, bags <laughs> and purses. <laughs> um, and the other thing was that they could come and talk to my husband to see if he was in agreement for me to take on this job as a financial advisor. Can you believe that? Oh, my God. Anyway, um, so I got the job. I gave up everything else. And... Nine months later, I was promoted to a field sales manager where I had to recruit my own team. And five, six years later, to a regional director, regional sales director, where wow. I was managing seven field sales managers, 70 advisors, and responsible for all of the bank branch, all of the financial services targets and all of the bank branch branches in my region. And I absolutely loved it. But I, there was this... I'm not going to say I was like Jekyll and Hyde because I wasn't as a personality, but in terms of how I was at work and then the dread I had mm. of, of coming home. But my children were absolutely wonderful. And I have to say, I loved every moment of every age that they were from being tiny, tiny babies right to now, you know, they're in their forties and, I've got grandchildren and we are so close so we have always had a very close relationship and really 
people used to say, oh, Dillis and the girls, Dillis and the girls, mm -hmm. because he was never there, really. Mm. Um, you know, Sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so, um, so I carried on with, with that. And then one day, and he'd been knocking me about, and I was black and blue, and I'd been at the doctors just to, for them to have proof of what was going on. Um, and then this particular day, I was out with my younger daughter and her friend, mum and dad had split up and I was asking her how they were, how she was after this breakup. And she said, mum, she's absolutely fine. She's doing really well. And I said, how would you be if I left your dad? She went, I don't know why you haven't done it years ago. She said, he's awful. I don't know how you can bear to still be with him. And that was all I needed. And I said, so if I find somewhere, would you come? And she said, absolutely. And I had tried probably four years before that and I'd paid a deposit and everything. Um, and he had just, he had the place raised, you know, the kids were screaming. I was terrified and I just was too scared to go. Mm. But then I got to the point where I thought I cannot live like this anymore. And, um, she was on board my other daughter was on board and I said to him right I mean I'm embarrassed to share this as well bearing in mind I'm running a region I have uh, meetings every Monday strategy meetings with the bank directors every Monday and I said to him you are going to have to let me go mm. please let me go mm. because if you don't let me go I mean you know listen to the words let me go yeah yeah I will die and I know that sounds extreme, but that was exactly how I felt because I was going wow. to work mm. being one person. And by the way, we were top in the country. We were people well were done. to come in and work in our region. That was how good it was. And yet I was, I, I was just like stressed at home and walking on eggshells, mm. lovely life with my children. If you ask them, they never ever saw him knock me about, but they saw all of the broken ornaments that had been stuck together with super glue. Everything was, all my ornaments were broken. Mm -hmm. um, and they saw his angriness and his bad temper. Um, so, so there seems to be like, obviously, I'm sure you've already reflected on this, that, you know, there's obviously a lot of similarities with your, your mum's story and experience and your own in terms of, you know, being around, a, you know, having a partner that's abusive, that's got drink issues um, and, you know, f feeling kind of, in a sense, fearful of that person. Um, and, you know, you talk about having a role that's very, you know, <laughs> very a powerful role you could say um and and it's kind of seems a contradiction in a way like mm. one like you say the Jekyll and Hyde and it's interesting because we speak about how you know family members are what's called para alcoholics and we have very many of the same you know characteristics that the drinkers do and, and they can be Jekyll and Hyde because they can be nice and then totally different person um so you know how how have you reflected in terms of the similarities you know between your your mum's sort of situation and your your own Funny enough, I haven't reflected as such in terms of the similarities between us because we're very different and the circumstances were very different. But I have reflected many, many times on the fact that I, that was my childhood. And then I went into a very similar situation. Yeah. And I read about this where, because it's kind of your normal. Yeah. 
you, you, I don't understand it fully. I haven't studied it or anything. I've just read about it, that it's very common. Yeah, it is. For women in particular to, to replicate what was going on. Mm. And, you know, I, I've also reflected on the strength that you need because I know we've talked about strong women, but I don't think you can just put them into a, into a square box and say no, that not at all. this. Strong women are this because there are so many different facets to it. Like yeah. my mother was a strong woman in her way because she had four children. I'm one of four. She had no money, unlike me. You know, I was able in the end to, because I was financially secure, I was able to leave and start again and um subsequently set up my own business actually in, in two there were times that you talked about the difficulties with the finances because of your partner's spending so even oh, though that you you yeah. know later in life you did manage to you know secure you know your finances more you certainly yeah. you know explained that you know he obviously was spending money on needing yeah. the best of everything so you probably did experience quite similar things in that regards in terms you of know, the struggles with right. money. Yeah, you're right. Because when I left, um, I mean, I was all, I mean, I was earning a lot of money, like a lot of money and I was overdrawn nearly every month. Mm. And when I left, I paid him a thousand pounds a month for nine months, just because I was like the main breadwinner and I left him with everything. I left with a black bag of shoes and a suitcase. I left him the house. I left him everything that was in the house. Uh, it was like the great escape, you know, mm. um, and and I, so I gave him a thousand pounds a month. I paid rent for nine months and and kept it. Me and my children, and I had money in the bank every month. And yet before that, it was we were you know he was just he would just spend, yeah. spend, spend. So there is that similarity, isn't there, in terms yes. of you know your experience with your when you were growing up with your mum and, and your dad spending yeah. the money and and then that's replicated again and obviously your dad had a drink problem and then your partner had a drink problem and yeah. you know so you know those even though you're different people and I think this is true for anyone listening that's been in this situation we've all got our own specific um, experiences and we're all got our own specific characteristics but many of us will have experienced very similar things um, mm. and uh, like yourself sometimes you don't have those insights sometimes and you don't really connect you know these things together um, mm. but subconsciously they come from somewhere and like yeah. your values around money for example is you know probably comes from what you saw um, because ultimately you were the breadwinner in a sense in your relationship rather than him being the breadwinner or yeah. e even equal. So like you were t touching on sh what a strong woman is. And I, I agree with you. I think that there's no sort of, it's, this is the type of person that a strong woman is. So what do we think defines that? What, what makes someone strong? And is that a good thing to be a strong woman? Do you know what? Sorry. Um, can I just jump in? I was just thinking, um, about our mum, Jo, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, I, I, as a child, thought that she was quite weak because she would never stand up for herself and never stand up for us. And I always thought that, you know, she's always been domineering by, her, by the first husband, her second husband. And um, I always thought that she was a very weak person, which drove me to be a stronger person. But on reflection, 
she is a strong person for what she has been through, you know. So sometimes you might see a weak person, but actually they're, they're not, you know, just like you're saying now, we might see, um, you know, a power, a power um, suited woman, you know, running businesses and uh, corporate stuff and think that's a powerful woman. But also a powerful woman who is someone who can come out of, uh, you know, a domestic um, relationship or, um, you know, mm. can rise again mm. after being, you know, beaten down, losing everything. Yeah. Uh, like you say, I think they come in many forms. Yeah. Do you think it's, I'm interested to know if you think it's connected as well um, to how resilient that person is, if that's a factor in terms of what makes yes. somebody a strong person. Yes, I do. And if I reflect back on my mother and Paula, actually, you've hit the nail right on the head because I used to think that about my mother. Um, I'm embarrassed also to say that uh, because as I got older, because I resented it for being what I saw as so weak, but as I got older, I saw what a strong woman she was to actually stay there with four children. Yeah. And she was our mainstay. And this yeah. is, I put that, I, all of us, the four children, have been successful to one degree or another. And I put that down to the fact that she was always there. We weren't latchkey kids. You know, yeah. she, she was in her own right. She was actually very strong. Yeah. Our mum was, she was, uh, you know, she was running a house that was full of students, plus the children. Um, plus managing my dad when he was around. And again, we, uh, there was a very similar similarity. We didn't know that your dad came home and sat at the table with you for dinner. Um, we, we never had a holiday. So it was our norm not to, and I think it wasn't until I was in senior school and um, someone was saying, oh, I'm off to Tenerife on, on holiday. Yes. I thought they must be the richest people in the world. Mm. And I never realised actually people go abroad on holiday. Mm. I must have been about 13 or 14 by then. Mm. You know, it was ridiculous. Yeah. And, and what I've also, when I've looked back on this, uh, and I know you and I, Joe, have talked about this previously, is that I have I have always, and I'd like to share this with everyone, is that when you're in a situation, you have to look and make a decision. And that is your first step, is you make a decision. Now, whether that decision is to stay or whether it's to go, whatever, you, whatever it is, you have to make the decision yeah. as to what you want to do. And then look at your options and say, right, what options do I have available to me? And then work out the pros and cons of each option and then take action. Yeah. Oh, I love a plan. Yeah, yeah. You've got to have a plan. Exactly. And <laughs> if I look back, that's actually what I have always done. Because then I had another awful experience with another man in my life, not a romantic situation, <clears throat> but in, in my corporate job. Where bear in mind, as I mentioned, we're top in the country, people were moving house to come and work in the region. It was fabulous. And my boss, who'd been my boss for seven years, who I liked but professionally, and maybe that was the problem because he was a little bit of a womanizer. And of course, I was a single parent at, the, at, the, at that point when he started this, um, that he started just an out of the blue bullying 
harassment thing mm. and it was I was crushed because two years before that I got out of that horrible marriage and made my great escape and gone through all of that and then he started this and I tried to fix it and couldn't and so I had to make a decision I had and, and the options were I either shut up and put up or I leave and I, and, I, and you know, I had to look at the options around leaving. Do I get another job? Do I start my own business? And I decided to start my own business. Mm-hmm. And I literally went from this massive corporate job with all of the trimmings and the, and the financial benefits and all the rest of it into my bedroom. Mm-hmm. And I started as a sales and marketing and leadership consultant from scratch. Mm-hmm. From scratch. Do, you, do you think as um, so sometimes do you think that when like a woman appears to be let's say strong whatever that looks like um that they themselves feel they can't be vulnerable or can't you know that they've got to keep it all together and that they you know can't let anything to get to them or at least they can't let people know that anything gets to them they can't appear to be vulnerable because they and you know maybe they feel that they have to keep up that pretense in order to survive Joe, that is exactly it. And if I tell you that um, nobody except his mother, first husband's mother, sister and brother, they knew, not another person knew. Mm -hmm. And I rang my mother this particular day. She said, I thought you were ringing to tell me what you were going to be doing for your silver wedding anniversary party. (laughs) And I was ringing to tell her I was leaving him and I was going to divorce him. She said, I had no idea because I had always covered up. And this was something I struggled with. And and I even went to counselling with this horror. And I remember the, the counsellor saying something. And I got this box of tissues. And I'm not an angry person, but I got this box of tissues and I clattered it onto her desk. And I said, and this is the trouble. I have spent my life hiding and smoothing the waves, always smoothing the waves from being a little girl. Mm, And it was, I had this realization that I couldn't bear anybody to know when I was a child that 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 was going on with Mm. my dad. And I couldn't bear even more to let anyone know that I was struggling with it. Mm. And I'm, I'm a real kind of, um, extroverts you know cup overflowing in fact not even cup half full and 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 fun and so that was what people saw but they didn't see this underneath so what would that mean though had they have seen that in you had they have seen what was really going what would that have meant to you oh gosh i would have i would have been so embarrassed Mm. that that I, I would have put up with it. And one of the reasons I never told anyone, because, and I've seen this myself with other people, if you tell someone and, and then you tell them again and you tell them again and they tell you to leave and you should do this and you should do that, but you don't do it, they think, well, should have talking about it then. Yeah. So there's, yeah. there's, all sorts of, there's all sorts of angles to this in terms of mm. being embarrassed, being feeling internally that what an idiot for putting up with this also what an idiot for being strung along thinking oh it'll be all right this time because they've told you if you hadn't done such a thing you know I wouldn't have done that 
And did you realize that at the time or was, uh, is this in hindsight? Did you realize at the time oh, I'm being an idiot or, you know, what you've just said, did you realize yes, that? Later, yes, I did later on, but I just could not. I, see, there's also this element of fear. I was mm. frightened of him. Same mm. as I was frightened of my dad, mm. but I was frightened of him because he was, so, you know, he was, he was violent. Mm. I mean, I was in hospital at one point where he mm. thrown a football at me. And, and so I think that's understandable, you know, because ultimately, if we're fearful of somebody, we're going to do everything we can because safety is exceptionally important to us. So it's, you know, you take the path of least resistance and you're not going to cause ripples because of you're worried about your own safety. And so, you know, we make those choices and decisions at that moment in time, no matter how illogical it seems um, you know this stuff is not about logic it's about emotion and often when people stay in these situations you know we can easily say logically well it doesn't make sense but it's not about that it's emotional and you know often a lot of this sort of thing goes on on a subconscious level and we don't understand why we're staying with that person when we might think this situation's not good for me but ultimately underneath that very deep down are reasons why because you fear them you're scared for your safety and sometimes at that moment in time you can't think of a solution mm. i think that um dillis i i think you know you said about the jacqueline hyde i think that um your work was probably your escapism yeah. you know because you were a different person at work mm. you all you had to focus on was your staff your figures mm. you know um what the next day is going to bring you you were completely focused and, yeah. and you could have and switched off from mm. what was going on behind closed doors mm. and uh and i think you know that's where you channeled your energy because your energy you you sound like a very driven woman um you know whether it's with your children or with your career mm -hmm. um and i think it you focused it in the right direction you know because a lot of people could sit and wallow on that mm -hmm. or or they could pick up a drink drugs anything yeah. because they need to escape from the madness that's going on behind closed doors. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's finding that escapism, but, you know, using, using that, um, that fire that you've got inside of you, whether, you know, that, that, that yearning to change and get out, you know, focusing it on yourself and, mm -hmm. and empowering your passion, I think is one of the greatest things ever. Mm. I would agree, Paula, and and I alluded to this before, but my children have always played a, a major part in my life because during all of the time, right up until I was a, um, a regional director, I had flexible hours. So I was able to take them to school. I was able to pick them up from school. And then I would do all the you know, homework and guides and all this that and the other and then I would go out in the evening when I was a financial advisor and then I had the flexibility as a field sales manager and then they were older when I was a, a regional sales director um, but they were a huge part of my life mm -hmm. we did everything together and we did a lot yeah. of things together 
Yeah. Um, I can really relate to the whole, um, you know, my focus. I've definitely been a workaholic and my focus has been on work and it has been in a sense, my addiction. And, you know, through the years I've had various things, controls mainly been at the center of a lot of it and work for me has been a good distraction. It's helped me to cope. It's helped me to, you know, survive. And, and, and it's true for many daughters of alcoholics in many daughters of alcoholics have got addictions to work. Um, Mm. and it gives us a sense of purpose, a sense of freedom, we can you know really you know people that struggle to speak up maybe in their relationships will find it no problem whatsoever in speaking up at work because that's where they're kind of at their best um Mm -hmm. but i i'm interested to understand a bit more in terms of your um your overly responsible kind of stuff because it sounds like as a child you were obviously like you said your mum's confidant and you know I totally relate to the over overly responsible um thing as well um and I think that maybe like there's a lot of mums out there that are you know taking on way too much responsibility because they feel like they've got to be everything to everyone um and and that can put a lot of pressure on us can't it Oh gosh, yeah. Particularly as a as a as a child as, a, as well. As a child, yes. And and that fear, you know, lying in bed knowing you was coming in from the pub on the five to eleven bus. That's what the sort of used to come in. And and I used to I used to feel quite ill in bed because you know, he would he would hit her if she spoke and he would hit her if she didn't speak. It was it was awful. I mean, as I said, I could be on for hours telling you some of the stories, but but yes, taking this responsibility and then f- and feeling responsible for my mother and feeling mm. that I had to sort it out. And yeah. you know, when he was having the affair with this woman, um, and I think it was one of many, but but tackling her, not physically, you know, but but approaching her and I asking, so relate to that, and I think that Paula sort of before we started doing all of this work like probably didn't really understand that as well and it wasn't that I was directly necessarily being asked to do things there was an implied or I just felt like I was had to be responsible in that situation um whereas she didn't feel like that so or not so much maybe but so I I relate to how you're wording it and what you're saying Delis because it's Mm -hmm. it's this it for me it felt like an implied thing like my mom wouldn't say necessarily all the time um, her worries or whatever but maybe it's something I picked up on and then just took it on if you know what yeah. I mean yeah yeah um yeah it's 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 funny when you you look back but I I, I don't feel a victim at all like not at all despite the fact that when I when I recount it all it catches my throat and I feel it does upset me it does so there's obviously that internal thing but i feel that it's made me very tolerant of people yeah tolerant of situations i can get into people's shoes and understand you see the bigger picture don't you yes yeah i'm very empathetic and you know any any women who are listening to this and think i'm trapped I can't ever do anything. You can, you absolutely can. And I didn't talk to anyone, but if I had, and I wouldn't have, I would never have spoken to a friend or my family or anything because of all of this embarrassment. So I understand all of that. 
However, the, the, the always forward, you know, and just look and say, what can I do? Don't say I can't because, say, how can I? Mm -hmm. yeah. How can I? And then look, you know, if you want to be out, that's your decision. Then you have to look at your options. Yeah. Um, if you want something enough, you can make it happen. Yes. You know, there's, there's ways and means. I mean, there's so many, there's so much help out there for women in domestic abuse situations. I mean, um, not all women want to do that like yourself. You didn't want yeah. to admit that and seek that kind of help, but there are ways and means of, of getting yourself out of that situation. And if you believe, believe in yourself enough, you know, that, I you think that's often the problem though, isn't it? You know, when yeah. those people are stuck in that situation, they don't have that belief and they are, you know, usually <laughs> on, on their knees um, with very low sense of self-esteem, confidence, you know, they've got no capacity to even feel like they can reach out sometimes. Um, yeah. And I think it's important for us to reach in, you know, it's not always obvious yeah. like we've discussed now in terms of knowing who's struggling, but yeah. we can start to look for some signs, you know, withdrawing from social situations, withdrawing from, you know, conversations, you know, connection, things like yeah. that. But um, even and, and hearing into, like, even hearing like Dillis's story, do you know what I mean? Even if that touches a listener, you know, who can pass on the story, do you know what I mean? That it, it can be done. Yeah. yeah. And I think as long as you've got someone to talk to as well, someone you trust and, you know, that is hugely valuable, you know, even yeah. if it's just one person, um, you know, and sometimes that's not even a family member or friend, it's someone completely separate and, you know, yeah. like Paula and I or whatever, but we, you know, can have that objectivity and sometimes that's what somebody needs um, just to have that one person they can trust. Yeah, because we do, we can't make any judgments, can we? Do you know what I mean? And and so that person can just like lay it on the line, and we can just listen for what it is, mm -hmm. and no, have no um, outside influence on it. You know. Yeah, and and I would say if people are feeling stuck because they've got they haven't got the money, there is there are always ways of finding money always you could have stuff in your wardrobe you could have stuff in your loft that you could put on a facebook marketplace or you know to sell some things or to get a little job whatever it takes you know just somehow dig deep mm. for, for, for that bit of strength to if it's the money that's holding you back if it's the fear that's holding you back because i had that as well but you know you've got joe and paula that mm. you can talk to to just as confidence really sounding board somebody that you can maybe uh, kind of discuss options yeah ready for you to be able to take some kind of action yeah you don't have to live with this for as long as i lived with it and also i think it's important to say don't assume uh, and i'm a big one for this don't assume that you are burdening someone with your problems um, yeah. because I personally don't see it as a burden because I'm not taking on your problems and worrying about them I'm literally here to listen to support to offer help um, so don't make that assumption that everyone you know if you if you do decide to share or you know ask for help because you're struggling that you're burdening someone yeah, I often say to people, you know, if someone said to you, oh, could you give me a lift or could you pick up something from the shops? Nine times out of ten, you're going to say, yeah, sure, no problem. 
you know and so what stops them from saying that for you mm -hmm. do you know what i mean you know yeah. you if someone says that you'll say yeah so if if you want if you need to say look i need a little bit of help people aren't gonna say no yeah yeah, yeah. not unless and, they're really nasty yes exactly and even if you try to do it and it, and you find you can't that you know don't beat yourself up with that i yeah. tried and couldn't but then eventually i did mm. um but don't beat yourself up this this is not an easy situation and if you need the help call for the help mm. and yeah if you need some money look at ways that you can find some money that can, will just help you yeah we've all got stuff that we could get rid of yeah definitely yeah i mean you know i took on all of those things when we had no money when when i had my children babies and he was drinking and spending and in and out of work and i did you know i, I sold, way, I sold yeah. makeup i there's loads of multi-level marketing things that you can do i mm. i went to the pub and work part-time there yeah. Lots I, of I, options, isn't there? And I think that yeah, people, you've got to open you know, your mind. Yeah, definitely. Looking at these options. Yeah. So decision, options, action. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's fantastic. Decisions, options, action. Love yeah, it. Love yeah. it. <laughs> Look, we have come to the end of our discussion, ladies. Um, oh, you know, it's, it's, the time has flown by, and I know that we could probably talk forever. And, and Dillis, we may well invite you back if you would have us and, and you know, to, to talk about some other topics, because I'm sure there's, there's, well, we've talked about a whole host of things here, and I think there's much to dig deep. Yeah, we could on, dig so. deep on some yeah, stuff there yeah. for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. I have you, but I mean, would you have me? Thank you. Oh, very much. yes, definitely. <laughs> definitely. So, so thank you so much. It's been amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you, Dillis. Thank you, and speak to you soon.